Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. Alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all-in family ministry. I love serving God and doing it all together with my whole big family, including my daughter, Reagan, who is joining me for some episodes here as a co-host on this podcast. Now, in this season, season two, we are answering questions that are submitted about the Bible by listeners and viewers. We're doing our very best to unpack these concepts, answer these questions using just the Word of God. And so today, we are going to answer another Old Testament question. And these are coming from here in our home church, Ecclesia Christian Church in South Carolina. We are doing a full Bible read-through. This is something we do year after year continually. We just came through the book of Leviticus. And so lots of questions coming from these first books in Scripture. And the one that we're going to dig into in Leviticus today is a concept that can seem confusing or even cruel. It's a concept that we find repeated in the New Testament, but it's misused there to justify racism. Mm -hmm. And so that has to be corrected. It's the idea of things, animals, and people being unclean. So the question this week is, what does God mean by clean and unclean? Mm -hmm. If you've read the book of Leviticus, these are words that you have read more than you ever probably wanted to. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to look at today. And to start us off, I want to go ahead and just define what scripture means by clean and unclean based on how these terms are used in God's word. So these terms describe the condition of something relative to its ability to be in the presence of God. All right. So an unclean thing cannot share God's presence, but being clean means that something or someone is able to be in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And then as subsets in these categories of clean and unclean, we find ideas of moral purity versus ceremonial purity. And we'll look at that as we get into this episode. But Reagan, if you don't mind, go ahead and introduce yourself. You've mm -hmm. been just recently joining me on this podcast. So yep. let everybody know who you are and kick us off in this discussion of clean and unclean. Okay. My name is Reagan. I'm 18 years old, and I work on staff at our home church, Ecclesia Christian Church. Um, I manage all of our social media, and I do a lot of creative art stuff here. And in my personal time, I do social media ministry on my own, and I use social media platforms, and I make videos where I take countercultural topics, and I talk about them from a biblical perspective, and I talk about what the Bible has to say about hot topics that are going on around the world. So, for today, we're going to go first in the Old Testament, especially in God's law in Leviticus, where we find things that were being placed in different categories of clean and unclean. So, Leviticus 11 through 15 give God's law about purity through ritual to teach us an important truth about our need for atonement. So, we want to mention here that God's law was not intended to be used as a checklist to affirm our goodness. Yeah. Rather, it exposes our desperate need for a mediator because of God's holiness and our unholiness. So in Leviticus, the laws about purity show us that even if we could obey every law all the time, we still live in an impure world. And because of that, we're tainted by that impure world. So yeah. no matter how good our behavior is. Accordingly, Leviticus 11 deals with clean and unclean food 
Leviticus 12 talks about uncleanliness after childbirth. Leviticus 13 gives regulations about skin diseases and molds that could make someone or something unclean. Leviticus 14 gives directions for cleansing from uncleanness resulting from skin diseases and molds. And Leviticus 15 deals with bodily discharges that make a person unclean. That's a hard chapter to read. It's, yep, and it's an especially hard chapter to teach, I'm yeah. sure. We've, <laughs> we have done many Bible read-throughs together as a family yes. in the years that you've been growing up. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you were little and we would come to that, mm-hmm. I would just skim over some parts. Yeah. I think that's for the best. (laughs) So we notice here that clean versus unclean does not necessarily mean moral versus immoral. So like we mentioned earlier, there's a subset of unclean that is specifically ritual or ceremonially unclean. The idea that unclean does not equal to immoral is made evident through these chapters. So it's not a sin to give birth or to get a rash on your skin. Some of the everyday stuff of being a human could make people considered unclean. Right. And yet atonement was still required. Atonement is the means of reconciliation between God and man. So in the Old Testament, this was a part of the sacrificial system. And in the New Testament, which we'll talk about later in this episode, this atonement was reframed exclusively around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Right. So atonement for moral guilt and atonement for ritual impurity— This is how God could dwell with his people. As for purification, in Leviticus, God taught his people to maintain ritual purity by living differently. Yeah. They were to avoid touching things that could taint them with impurity, and whenever they were tainted, atonement was needed then for cleansing. So on their journey through the wilderness, the Israelites received ongoing instructions about purity while in their camp. So it's helpful to remember that, like so many features of the law of Moses, these instructions are shadows of heavenly realities, which point us toward the atonement that we still need from Christ. So people had to be clean, ritualistically, morally, and physically, to be in the presence of God. At a basic level, the word clean in the law can simply refer to the opposite of being dirty, which is why it can sometimes be removed by washing. For example, Leviticus 11, 39 through 40 says, if an animal that you are allowed to eat dies, anyone who touches its carcass will be unclean till evening. Anyone who eats some of its carcass must wash their clothes and they will be unclean till evening. Anyone who picks up the carcass must wash their clothes and they will be unclean till evening. So, but in the law, the word could also take on a moral connotation. So similar to the word purity. Even in English, the word clean has more implications than just the removal of dirt. Sure. So think about the saying, having a clean conscience. Yeah. So it's, it can mean multiple things. When there was a ritual uncleanness, it was something that kept people from God's presence. Ritual uncleanness meant that someone needed to be quarantined from the community and would need purification to resume taking part in the community. Being in the presence of God when unclean was a very dangerous thing. So, as we already noted, uncleanness could be caused by skin disease, bodily discharges, and contact with the dead. Certain foods, though, were also considered unclean. That is, until New Testament times, and we'll look at this change in Acts 10 at the end. It was much easier to become unclean than to return to the state of being clean, because the process for entering back into the community took time and intentionality, such as the examination by a priest of a skin disease, described in Leviticus 13. Yeah. 
But yet in the New Testament, Jesus came and he personally touched unclean people. He touched lepers, a woman who was suffering from chronic bleeding, even dead people. But rather than being made unclean by their defilement, Christ's holiness made them clean. Anyone else who touched them would have been made unclean, but Jesus made them whole. So the contagiousness worked backwards. That's incredible. And what's interesting about that is even as Jesus was able to return them to a state of Mm -hmm. clean rather than have them make him unclean, Mm -hmm. it still came at a cost to him. So listen to what Leviticus says about skin diseases. Leviticus 11, 45 and 46, it says, anyone with such a defiling skin disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So they're Mm -hmm. excluded from the community because of their uncleanness. But then in the New Testament, In Mark 1, Jesus healed a man with leprosy so that he was able to reenter the community after having been excluded. But Jesus told him when he had healed him, you go directly to the priest Mm -hmm. and get a clean bill of health and don't tell anyone else what I've done for you. But this leper found the news too good not to share. So Mark 1, 45 says, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And listen, Mm -hmm. as a result, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but stayed outside in lonely places. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is not taking on their state of unclean. Mm -hmm. He's making them clean, but he is taking on the burden that they bore the leper and Jesus are switching places. Right. Now Jesus is having to be isolated and excluded because right. of what he's done. And and this is just a picture of something much bigger right. that Jesus bore the entire curse of our sin on the cross mm-hmm. and he became like that which is unclean. Listen to Hebrews 13, 11 through 13. It says, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. It's describing here the Levitical system of sacrifice that we've just read through. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. See, Jesus this idea of him suffering outside the city gate or outside the camp is because when he was crucified, it was done outside the city Mm -hmm. walls of Jerusalem because like you've just explained, a dead body would make someone unclean. That was seen as a defilement by the Jews under the law of Moses. And so Jesus not only took on the the curse of the leper in having to go outside of the community and remain lonely in isolated places, but he took on our uncleanness Mm -hmm. and had to be taken outside of the community, outside the camp, outside the city, Mm -hmm. so that he could be put to death for our sins. Isaiah 53, 3 and 4. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Mm -hmm. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished, stricken by God, and afflicted. So this same Isaiah who foretold the coming of the Messiah, Mm -hmm. he himself was directly commissioned by God to go out and proclaim his word. And I want us to look at that account because that speaks more into this idea of 
what is meant by unclean. Right. And I think this is an uh, account we've looked at on this podcast at some point before, but we'll just read it here. Isaiah 6, 1 through 7, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So here is a picture of God's holiness. Mm -hmm. He is surrounded by winged creatures who Mm -hmm. are proclaiming his holiness. His presence is shrouded in smoke, and he's often presented like this Mm -hmm. when we find God speaking in scripture, like at Mount Sinai. The mountain is thundering and covered in smoke and flames. So Isaiah responds in this way to seeing the Lord. He says in verse five, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You mentioned earlier that the law that God gives is not supposed to be a checklist that we mark off Mm -hmm. to affirm our own holiness. It's supposed to convey to us Mm -hmm. how holy God is, how insufficient, unable we are to exist in his presence, how we've got to have a mediator. Right. So then verse six says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of this episode, Mm -hmm. I said that an unclean thing could not be in the presence of God, but being clean meant being able to be in God's presence. Now let's put this together with the idea that you presented of atonement, Mm -hmm. which is the means of reconciliation between God and man. Mm -hmm. See, Isaiah is crying out, woe to me, I'm unclean, I can't Mm -hmm. be in the presence of God. And so this angel takes this live coal, touches his lips to make atonement. And this is a great example for us to understand what is meant by clean and unclean. Isaiah was a prophet of God, but Mm -hmm. his own humanity made him unclean and necessitated atonement. And so God here acted to remove his guilt, Mm -hmm. to make atonement for his sin. And this is a foreshadowing of what he did through Christ. Mm -hmm. Jesus accomplished the complete atonement for our sins So Jesus coming foreshadowed in this Isaiah account of atonement being made, ushered in now a new covenant kingdom Mm -hmm. where we all are called to be children of God. We're called to be co-heirs with Christ. But what's amazing is this great inheritance that we're called to and given through Jesus wasn't reserved for just great people, Mm -hmm. for just glorious people. Jesus, as he is coming to make atonement acted in ways Mm -hmm. that really surprised people during his ministry. So we've already noted here that lepers were considered unclean. They were blacklisted, Mm -hmm. unable to be part of the community. They even had to warn people before they approached. But when a man who had leprosy had faith enough to approach Jesus, Mm -hmm. Matthew 8, 3 says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Now, just after that account in Matthew chapter 8, here's what Jesus did next. 
Matthew 8, 5 through 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Mm-hmm. So let's unpack this. Right. Centurions were officers in Rome's army. And Rome is the empire that was ruling over the mm-hmm. Israelite people, over the Jews in Jesus' day. And the Jews saw it as a violation of their law to visit or associate with a Gentile, mm-hmm. according to Acts ten twenty eight. And yet Jesus offered to accompany a Gentile who had the faith to ask Jesus to heal his servant. Mm -hmm. And the centurion says, no, I'm unworthy of having you visit me. So what's going on here is this centurion, this Roman officer, is recognizing the religious convention that's in place among the Jews at this time. And he's showing that he understands order of authority. And he understands true authority, which is the authority of Jesus. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus showed a similar inclusion when he learned that Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. So back then, Mm -hmm. women are still under this law that you've already shared with us from Leviticus 11 through 15. So they were subject to recurring Mm -hmm. uncleanness because of their menstrual cycles. Mm -hmm. We see that in Leviticus 15, 19. And so religious leaders were not typically touching women. Right. They avoided contact with women because touching a woman mm-hmm. who was in this unclean phase of her month mm-hmm. would make them unclean. But Jesus touches Peter's mother-in-law, mm-hmm. and then her fever is gone. He is not afraid of right. the uncleanness right. that, that man in this day has used to ostracize right. people. So Jesus, he heals Gentiles, he heals women, Mm -hmm. he even healed the demon-possessed and the crippled, those who the culture considered cursed or outcast or untouchable Mm -hmm. because they had leprosy. Jesus saw them and he had compassion. And not only did he restore them, Mm -hmm. he also gave them opportunity. Mark 2.14 As he walked along, this is Jesus, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. So much like Isaiah in that account we just Mm. looked at, he's unclean, he lives among an unclean people, he is atoned for in this this prophetic vision that he's having by this live coal from the altar. And then he's commissioned. God says, now you go and take my word to the people. Mm -hmm. Same way here, Jesus sees Matthew, who was a tax collector. He's called Levi in this account. Um, And tax collectors of that day were despised because Mm -hmm. they made a living by charging their own people more than the Roman government 
demanded. Right, yeah. So they're collecting taxes, but they're adding some on top, and they're mm-hmm. keeping that as their fee. And since they profited off their own people, tax collectors were viewed as traitors. They saw mm-hmm. them as having committed treason against God. And so religious leaders excluded them from worship. Right and treated them as ceremonially unclean. Mm -hmm. They couldn't be part of the religious ceremony. But Jesus invites him along and says, come do ministry with me. And he becomes one of Jesus' apostles. So while those in authority excluded the people who they would think of as unclean Mm -hmm. because of conditions beyond their control, Mm -hmm. because of what they did for a living, because of just their human condition, like women, Jesus included them. Mm -hmm. He touched the untouchable. He ate with the outcast. He cared for the traitor. Mm -hmm. And rather than anyone making Jesus unclean, Mm -hmm. he always was able to make them clean. So God had given his people this law that we've Mm -hmm. been reading in Leviticus so that through them, This law, which is really summed up, Jesus said in two commands, loving Mm -hmm. God and loving others, that could be revealed to all people. That Mm -hmm. was what God was giving this law to accomplish. Mm -hmm. His people were to live this out, love God, love people, share it with the world. But by Jesus' day, the religious leaders were treating God's law instead like something that gave them an elite status that they could lord over other people and they could act in these ways to exclude others. But Jesus reversed all of that. He came to those who seemed unworthy because he was what they needed. They needed him. It wasn't uh, these stipulations of the Mm -hmm. religious leaders that that they needed. They needed someone who would include them and make them clean. And so it's the people who were without pretension, without self-sufficiency, through whom we can clearly see Mm -hmm. the glory of God through Christ revealed. Mark 2.17, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but a sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Right. So throughout his ministry, Jesus consistently invited in the outsiders. Yeah. So from those who are morally impure and outside God's will to those who were ritually unclean and outside of the community. Right. So he made those people, even though they were outcasts and pushed away from the community, a part of his kingdom. Yeah. So there were some who didn't like this, obviously, because people aren't always going to agree with what's what's right. Um, And it was the Pharisees. So the religious leaders of Jesus' day expressed their displeasure over the failure of Jesus' disciples to wash their hands before eating. In Matthew 15, 1 through 2, it says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. In this instance, hand washing had nothing to do with the removal of germs and prevention of sickness. Rather, this was a ritualistic washing to remove the uncleanness of Gentiles that they may have encountered in, say, the marketplace. Right. It was their tradition through which they affirmed their special status before God. And it contrasted to the defilement of the others who were not Jews. So Jesus corrected this misuse of God's law where they had the intention to justify racism. Right. God had never said to wash the Gentile off your hands. Right. This was a man-made rule and tradition that the Jews had come up with as equal in God's will. And an important lesson here is that 
It's just as wrong to add to God's commandments as it is to ignore his commandments. Right. Right. Because the law didn't say that you were to use these stipulations Mm -hmm. about cleanliness and uncleanliness to exclude people. I mean, God was specific about including the foreigner and treating them well. Right. These were to maintain a ceremonial and moral Mm -hmm. and physical purity right. so that God's presence could dwell there as a foreshadowing of the holiness that he right. wants us to walk as his children, right. but to instead use these laws mm-hmm. to say, well, other people aren't welcome here. Right. That was not ever right. the purpose of the law or what it was accomplishing. They actually were having to break other laws right. in order to twist that law mm-hmm. and make it more about their own tradition right. because they were excluding people mm-hmm. like foreigners, right. like vulnerable people, mm-hmm. women, widows perhaps, right. who God had given special protections right. for. Right. So God impressed this truth on his apostle Peter in a vision that is recorded in Acts 10. Yeah. So... This is the account of his encounter with Cornelius, who was a Gentile, following the vision. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that this is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour and at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but Except from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to all the people, God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead." All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard this message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. 
Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in, the way, in their way of being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So God's old covenant existed between him and the nation of Israel. Jesus made the way for all people to enter a new covenant with God. Yeah. So he does the same thing for us, inviting us in regardless of our past or our status and inviting us to then invite others as well. Yeah. If we're going to seek to be in the presence of God, we need holiness. And we find that holiness through the purification and atonement that comes from Jesus. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So our options are to trust and follow Jesus who bore our sins and continues to cleanse all of our impurities or to remain in a state of sinfulness and impurity, which has tragic implications for our eternal future. The new heaven and new earth are described in the following way in Revelation 21, 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's a great way to express what all of this is foreshadowing. This idea of clean and unclean from Leviticus Mm -hmm. is never about mistreating people. Mm -hmm. It's never about excluding people. It's always about calling us to a state of holiness because God wants us to be in his presence. Mm -hmm. And that's why nothing impure can enter heaven. Because to be in the presence of God, what Leviticus teaches us is that we have to remain clean. Mm -hmm. We have to be pure. And the only way we can get there Mm -hmm. is we have to have atonement. We have to have something to atone for our sins, Mm -hmm. foreshadowed with a live coal touching the lips in the book of Isaiah. Mm -hmm. And then the reality of that is expressed in Christ who bore our sins outside the camp, made the atonement so that we can be clean, so that we can be back in God's presence. So what we have done today is gone from Leviticus, where this law was introduced, to the Gospels, and then on Mm -hmm. to Acts, where this is fulfilled, revealed, and then applied Mm -hmm. to the life of Christians coming into the early church. Mm -hmm. And if you need help making these connections across books and testaments so that the things that are often confusing Mm -hmm. for our culture today, because we don't get it. This right. idea of clean and unclean is is foreign to us as right. Western Christians. That's a big piece of what my book, Step Into Scripture, does, mm-hmm. is help draw these connections so that Scripture is not confusing, mm-hmm. but is clarified. And, right. and we do that just using the Bible. We mm-hmm. don't need to add extra sources to it. Right. The Bible interprets the Bible. Mm-hmm. It gives us the clarity that we need, and we love right. to let God's Word speak for itself. To close us, though, we will actually bring in one other book. Mm-hmm. This is an excerpt from a book written by Max Licato called Just Like Jesus. And Reagan, if you don't mind just to read the story, mm-hmm. I think it beautifully gives us insight into what a leper, what an unclean, excluded person who was made clean, Mm -hmm. who was atoned for, and who was included in the family by Jesus in his day, what they might have felt. All right. So it says, For five years, no one touched me. 
No one, not one person, not my wife, not my child, not my friends, no one touched me. They saw me, they spoke to me, I sensed love in their voices, I saw concern in their eyes, but I didn't feel their touch. There was not one touch, no one touched me. What is common to you, I coveted. Handshakes, warm embraces, a tap on the shoulder to get my attention, a kiss on the lips to steal a heart. Such moments were taken from my world. No one touched me, no one bumped into me. What I would have given to be bumped into, to be caught in a crowd, for my shoulder to brush against another's. But for five years, it has not happened. How could it? I was not allowed on the streets. Even the rabbis kept their distance from me. I was not permitted in my synagogue, not even welcome in my own house. I was untouchable. I was a leper, and no one touched me, until today. One year during harvest, my grip on the scythe seemed weak. The tips of my fingers numbed. First one finger, then another. Within a short time, I could grip the tool but scarcely feel it. By the end of the season, I felt nothing at all. The hand grasping the handle might as well have belonged to someone else. The feeling was gone. I said nothing to my wife, but I know she suspected something. How could she not? I carried my hand against my body like a wounded bird. One day, I plunged my hands into a basin of water intending to wash my face. The water reddened. My finger was bleeding, bleeding freely. I didn't even know I was wounded. How did I cut myself? On a knife? Did my hand slide across the sharp edge of metal? I must have, but I didn't feel anything. It's on your clothes, too, my wife said softly. She was behind me. Before looking at her, I looked down at the crimson spots on my robe. For the longest time, I stood over the basin, staring at my hand. Somehow, I knew my life was going to be forever altered. Shall I go with you to tell the priest, she asked. No, I sighed. I'll go alone. I turned and looked into her moist eyes. Standing next to her was our three-year-old daughter. Squatting, I gazed into her face and stroked her cheek, saying nothing. What could I say? I stood and looked again at my wife. She touched my shoulder, and with my good hand I touched hers. It would be our final touch. Five years have passed, and no one has touched me since, until today. The priest didn't touch me. He looked at my hand, now wrapped in a rag. He looked at my face, now shadowed in sorrow. I've never faulted him for what he said. He was only doing as he was instructed. He covered his mouth and extended his hand, palm forward. You are unclean, he told me. With one pronouncement, I lost my family, my farm, my future, and my friends. My wife met me at the city gates with a sack of clothing and bread and coins. She didn't speak. By now, friends had gathered. What I saw in their eyes was a precursor to what I've seen every, in every eye since. Fearful pity. As I stepped out, they stepped back. Their horror of my disease was greater than their concern for my heart. So they, and everyone else I have seen since, stepped back. Oh, how I repulsed those who saw me. Five years of leprosy had left my hands gnarled. Tips of my fingers were missing, as were portions of my ear and my nose. At the sight of me, fathers grabbed their children. Mothers covered their faces. Children pointed and stared. The rags on my body couldn't hide my sores, nor could the wrap on my face hide the, rag, the rage in my eyes. I didn't even try to hide it. How many nights did I shake my crippled fist at the silent sky? What did I do to deserve this? But never a reply. Some think I sinned. Some think my parents sinned. I don't know. All I know is that I grew so tired of it all, sleeping in the colony, smelling the stench. I grew so tired of the damnable bell I was required to wear around my neck to warn people of my presence, as if I needed it. One glance and the announcements began, unclean, unclean, unclean. 
Several weeks ago, I dared walk the road to my village. I had no intent of entering. Heaven knows I only wanted to look again upon my fields, gaze again upon my home, and see, perchance, the face of my wife. I did not see her, but I saw some children playing in a pasture. I hid behind a tree and watched them scamper and run. Their faces were so joyful and their laughter so contagious that for a moment, for just a moment, I was no longer a leper. I was a farmer. I was a father. I was a man. Infused with their happiness, I stepped out from behind the tree, straightened my back, breathed deeply, and they saw me. Before I could retreat, they saw me, and they screamed, and they scattered. One lingered, though, behind the others. One paused and looked in my direction. I don't know, and I can't say for sure, but I think, I really think, she was my daughter. And I don't know, I really can't say for sure, but I think she was looking for her father. That look is what made me take the step I took today. Of course, it was reckless. Of course, it was risky. But what did I have to lose? He calls himself God's son. Either he will hear my complaint and kill me or accept my demands and heal me. Those were my thoughts. I came to him as a defiant man, moved not by faith, but by a desperate anger. God had wrought this calamity on my body and he would either fix it or end it. But then I saw him. And when I saw him, I was changed. You must remember, I'm a farmer not a poet, so I cannot find the words to describe what I saw. All I can say is that the Judean mornings are sometimes so fresh and the sunrise is so glorious that to look at them is to forget the heat of the day before and the hurt of the times of the past. When I looked at his face, I saw a Judean morning. Before he spoke, I knew he cared. Somehow I knew he hated this disease as much as, no, more than I hate it. My rage became trust and my anger became hope. From behind a rock, I watched him descend a hill. Throngs of people followed him. I waited until he was only paces from me. Then I stepped out. Master! He stopped and looked in my direction, as did dozens of others. A flood of fear swept across the crowd. Arms flew in front of faces. Children ducked behind parents. Unclean, someone shouted. Again, I don't blame them. I was a huddled mass of death. But I scarcely heard them. I scarcely saw them. Their panic I'd seen a thousand times. His compassion, however, I'd never beheld. Everyone stepped back except him. He stepped toward me. Toward me. Five years ago, my wife had stepped toward me. She was the last to do so. Now he did. I did not move. I just spoke. Lord, you can heal me if you will. Had he healed me with a word, I would have been thrilled. Had he cured me with a prayer, I would have rejoiced. But he wasn't satisfied with speaking to me. He drew near me. He touched me. Five years ago, my wife had touched me. No one had touched me since, until today. I will. His words were as tender as his touch. Be healed. Energy flooded my body like water through a furrowed field. In an instant, in a moment, I felt warmth where there had been numbness. I felt strength where there had been atrophy. My back straightened and my head lifted. Where I had been eye level with his belt, I now stood eye level with his face, his smiling face. He cupped his hands on my cheeks and drew so near I could feel the warmth of his breath and see the wetness in his eyes. Don't tell anyone about this, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded for people who are made well. This will show for people what I have done. And so this is where I am going. I will show myself to the priest and embrace him. I will show myself to my wife and I will embrace her. I will pick up my daughter and I will embrace her. And I will never forget the one who dared to touch me. He could have healed me with a word, but he wanted to do more than heal me. He wanted to honor me, to validate me, to christen me, 
Imagine that, unworthy of the touch of a man, yet worthy of the touch of God. So that's the story. That's the story of what Jesus is accomplishing. That is what is meant by clean and unclean. And that's the invitation that he's given to all of us to be clean. So thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you back next week.